0: Father, more, a a deeper relationship with you, a deeper walk with you, a hunger for you, a desire for you. Father, we thank you that this will be a turning point year for us in natural things, in spiritual things, in all of the things that you have for us, Lord. So we open our hearts this morning, and we expect good things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, you can uh, go ahead and be seated, and we'll go ahead and get started. Well, they'll figure out the mic situation and, and if we need to change anything, but let's see. i got to get my papers in order. So. so I have a word this morning that's continuing on this turning point subject, and um, Pastor Mark He's in uh, Craig this morning, They had the Craig board meeting last night, and so he's ministering there today, all day, and I'll be here today, and so we'll continue what we don't get to this morning tonight, so come back tonight. And then next week, look forward to Pastor Mark in the morning, but Alan again in the evening. Wasn't that great what Alan shared? Oh, man, it was powerful. So he's going to continue next week on that subject as well. So when I'm talking about turning point today, I want to talk about creating a turning point with atmospheres. Atmosphere. How do we create a turning point with the atmosphere? You know, God moves in certain atmospheres. And so because he, he likes the atmosphere to be the way he wants it, we need to take notice of that. And when we take notice of it, then we can create an atmosphere where God is welcome, where he's moving, where he's comfortable. And that's what we want. So there's some things that we can do. Some of them are heart things. Some of them are outward things. But that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. So there are intentional atmospheres and unintentional atmospheres, right? Sometimes it's because of what we're not doing and it creates something. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, well, that wasn't that good. (laughs) Sometimes it's because of something we're doing intentionally. So I had an open house at Christmas for all of our leaders here at New Creation Church, and I created a really intentional atmosphere. You know, I put the cider on and put the spices in it and had it going so it would smell good. I got all those spice candles from the bookstore, and I lit them all around my house so that my house would smell really warm and good. And then I lit the fireplace and we had Christmas music on. We created an atmosphere so that people would feel welcome when they came in. And we did that very intentionally. But you know, we can create an atmosphere in our church very intentionally that will welcome the presence of God. And we want to do that. We want to have an atmosphere in our church where God says, that's the place where I'm at home That's the place where I dwell. That's the place where I am comfortable. Right? So we want that. Well, go with me over to Luke chapter 1. We'll start here, and we'll go to lots of different scripture. But Luke chapter 1. Gosh, I don't even know if I'm going to get to everything. (laughs) Luke chapter 1, and uh, starting in verse 16, it says about John the Baptist. And he will turn back and cause... To return many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he himself will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn back the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient, and the incredulous, and unpersuadable to the wisdom of the upright, which is the knowledge. And the holy love of the will of God. See, God said, when I come, I want people to be ready. I want them to know me, and I want them to have a holy love for me. And so John the Baptist came with a message. And it goes on, and it says, in order to make ready for the Lord a people perfectly prepared in spirit, adjusted and disposed and placed in the right moral state. So God wanted people to be prepared. Are we preparing a place where he can come? That's a good question for us. Well, then in Luke chapter 3, verse 4, just a few pages over, it says this. It says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, shouting in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley and ravine shall be filled up. Every mountain and hill shall be leveled. And the crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough roads shall be made smooth. And all mankind shall see, behold, understand, and at last acknowledge the salvation of God. The deliverance from eternal death decreed by God. So John was an announcer, and to fulfill prophecy, he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what was he saying? Prepare the way of the Lord. He was wanting the Lord to have a fitting welcome when he came, and that meant that people's hearts had to be adjusted. So he was the announcer of the next thing that was on God's calendar. So you know there's some things on God's calendar. There's some things as we look at this place in time where we are. This is the last days that we are in the end times. And if we're not in the end of the end of the end times, we're closer to the end than we've ever, ever been. So <laughs> there are things that are on God's calendar. And that's why there's so many things coming to us right now where God is saying, prepare this, prepare that. Do this. Get your heart right. And those are things that if we receive, we create an atmosphere for him to come and fill. So it was John's job to speak the message. It was their job to prepare their hearts. It's our job to prepare our hearts. So we want to be a church that is expecting him, that's full of expectancy, that is desiring him, that has a spirit of faith, that we're looking towards him. So when hearts are right, it creates an atmosphere where he comes. So let's talk about atmospheres, four things, and creating an atmosphere within our church where God can come and move. The first one that I want to talk about is an atmosphere of praise. You know, we have a wonderful praise and worship team, and to lift our arms and praise him, that's great. But an atmosphere of praise is even more than that. When we create an atmosphere of praise, we are letting the presence of God in. And it's not just in the songs. It's in everything that we do. So in Psalm 23.3, it says this. It says, but you are holy, O Lord, and you inhabit the praises of Israel. God is holy, and he inhabits our praises. So different translations read differently. One says God inhabits. One says God rests in. And you know, it's so funny, we sang that song today, Come Rest on Us. Well, what is His presence resting on us? It's Him being present in our midst, His presence resting on us. We want that. One translation says, God sits upon the praises. He has a place of comfort there. And one says, He dwells within the praises. And so, you know, as I was thinking about examples for this, there is one example that stands out, and it's of Paul and Silas, and it's in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. So you can go with me over there. I have it written down. I'm going to read it, but they'll put it up on the screen too. It says, about midnight, <laughs> midnight, you know, it's the darkest part of the night, it's, but it's right at the point where it's turning over. There's a turning point at midnight, Right? There's a turning point. So at about midnight, as Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the other prisoners were listening to them, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the very foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the doors were opened and everyone's shackles were unfastened. When the jailer, startled out of his deep sleep, saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword that was, and was on the point of killing himself because he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. Don't you love that? Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Well, what happened? Here's Paul and Silas. There's an atmosphere in a prison, and guess what? It's not an atmosphere of praise, <laughs> and especially not in this prison. They, these, these were rough prisons, and so it wasn't an atmosphere of praise, but there was a turning point when they began to praise. But notice, they were singing, but they were singing something that came from their heart. It wasn't because the worship team was there. It wasn't because the, the, everything felt right. And they knew the words to the songs. No, I bet you they made up some songs right there about who God was, how big he was, and what he was able to do. You can tell what's in people's hearts by the words that come out of their mouth, by their actions, and especially in times of trouble. But, you know, they didn't just praise because they were in a time of trouble. They praised because he was on the inside of them, and he was big on the inside of them. And because he was big, they changed the atmosphere of where they were. They changed the whole atmosphere. And in a place where it was dark and a dungeon and a prison, they began to sing, and it changed the atmosphere, and people got saved, and the presence of God came in, and bonds were broken, chains were broken, people were freed, and the jailer and his whole household got saved. So there was a turning point. The praise came from their relationship with Jesus. The praise came from something on the inside of them. It wasn't an outside thing. So the atmosphere was changed by praise. And we change the atmosphere when we praise. And it doesn't just have to be in the church. It's wherever we are. Everywhere that we are. It's a lifestyle. Praise is a lifestyle a lifestyle that's based on the relationship that we have with God. So praise changes atmospheres. You know, just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mark told the story about how we were coming off the highway, coming from California, and we were coming off the highway onto a cloverleaf, and he didn't know it was a cloverleaf exit, and so he was going really fast. And so we, we actually went clear off of the highway <laughs> into the desert. and And he said that I shouted... Jesus! You know, that was the first thing that came out of my mouth. Jesus! Why? Because I knew. He's my deliverer. He's the one that can save us. He's the one who needs to help us right now. So I shouted, Jesus! Well, my daughter, who was small, she saw angels pick us up and drop us onto the sand. And that's exactly what happened. It was like the smoothest ride onto that sand. It was awesome! God did that for us. Why? Because of praise. And, you know, I could have gone, oh, my God, what are you doing? What, are you, what is wrong with you? Aren't you paying attention? Well, that would have changed the atmosphere, all right. <laughs> that was not the atmosphere that we wanted. The atmosphere that was in our car was we were all praising God. We were saying, thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you that that wasn't horrible. Thank you that you're our deliverer. And that's what Paul and Silas were doing. They were in there praising God. Praise opens prison doors. It activates the anointing. It breaks chains. It defeats giants. It does all kinds of things that we can't do. But praise and an atmosphere of praise is where God comes in. So God, in all of his presence and power, comes into the place where we are. That's the power of praise. Well, go with me over to Jonah 2, 1. Now, here's an example, and I actually really like this example of Jonah because Jonah does what most of us would do first thing. (laughs) And then he turns the atmosphere. He turns the atmosphere with praise. In Jonah 2.1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, God, from the fish's belly. There's an atmosphere in a fish's belly. (laughs) That belly is smelly. (laughs) But (laughs) it's horrible. And he begins to tell us about it. It says, "And And said I, I cried out from distress to the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried out, You heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me, and your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your presence and out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the extinction of life. The abyss surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. I went down into the bottoms of the very roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up, my life from the pit and corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted upon me, crushing me, I earnestly and seriously remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to false, useless And worthless idols forsake their own source of mercy and loving kindness. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation and deliverance belong to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah onto the dry land. Oh, wow. We all know why Jonah was in that situation, and it was. It was a soul-crushing situation. And he begins to talk about it, and he says, It was so bad. The seaweed was around my head, the water. The I thought I was going to die. He said, But this, and I love this part. He says, Those who pay regard to false and useless and worthless idols forsake their own source of mercy and loving kindness. You know, it's easy to complain. And when we stick to complaining and when we stick to talking about the problem and when we're so focused on that, God doesn't help in that situation. God helps when we praise him. And turning point came when he praised God. God's not in the complaining. God's in the praise. He sits upon the praises of his people. He rests on the praises of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. So it was powerful for Jonah when he realized that. He said, there's some useless and some worthless things out there, and now I have figured it out. (laughs) Praise is what gets God's attention. So praise. You know, one uh, time when we were fasting, at the beginning of the year, the Lord told me, you don't have to fast food this year. And I was like, yay, because usually it's Coke and, brownies and sugar and hot fudge sundays all that stuff that I have to fast so he said you don't have to fast food this year what I want you to fast is negativity and I went well how do you do that <laughs> like <laughs> I I, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin everything is negative he goes yep and you are too so I was like okay well uh, then I'm going to fast negativity so we were sitting with our friends, and we were at Cheesecake Factory at the prayer conference we always go to, and everybody's fasting, and I'm, like, eating a hot fudge Sunday in front of everybody. And I'm like, I don't have to fast food. So the Lord told me to fast negativity. But I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to eat or to fast things that, you know, sugar and, and hot fudge sundays, than to fast having to talk and having to think because that's what happened. <laughs> When I fasted negativity, I had to forsake talking and thinking, basically, and only take the Lord's thoughts and words. But it was so good for me. It was wonderful for me. It changed things in me. So praise creates an atmosphere. Here's another one, honor. Honor creates an atmosphere. I loved what Alan said last week about receiving the word with skepticism. What does it mean to honor the word? It means to receive it wholeheartedly. It means to receive it into a pure and open heart that says, Thank you, Lord. I need that. I need to change. It's the humble attitude. So we honor the word. We honor the spirit. We honor his moving. We honor his presence. We honor the body. We love the things that God loves and we hate the things that he hates. And that's what honoring him is about. We honor him with our obedience. We honor him and the moving of the spirit in our midst. Go with me over to Luke chapter 14, verse 7. And I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. I have it written down. Luke fourteen seven says, So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. Then you begin with shame to take the lower place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. You know, this is kind of a weird story. But he's talking about who holds the seat of honor. Who holds the seat of honor. And if we always take the place that says he's more honorable than me. If we take the place in our heart that says, Lord, you deserve the seat of honor in my heart that I want to be told, friend, come up higher. He'll always take us higher. And he says, it'll be to your glory if you give him the seat of honor. So it begs us to ask the question, who has the seat of honor in my heart? Is it me or is it the Lord? Do I choose the best thing for myself or do I give to him the place of honor? And we honor him in so many ways. You know, receiving the word. Do I go... I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that's for me. I don't know if I have to do that or go that far. No, actually, when we receive it with honor, we receive it to obey it. So giving him the seed of honor in our heart, in our home, in our marriage, in the things that we do every day, are we listening to him and giving him that seed of honor? Because if we are, then we're creating an atmosphere that he can move. Wherever we are, we're creating an atmosphere where he can move. So there's a flow of reverence and honor. And it's something that has to be taught, and it's something that has to be observed by us. So every generation learns how to flow and move with the Spirit of God. And we are learning that. But I'll tell you, if we have this attitude that I'm going to give him the seat of honor and we honor him and we honor the flow and we honor what he's doing, then we'll create an atmosphere where he's welcome. He's very welcome. And that means making what's important to God important to us. If he's taking time and he's saying something and he's doing something, then we honor that. You know, there was one time we were in a meeting um, with uh, Billy Brim, and we, we had this long, quiet time. And then somebody just started singing, and, and everyone started singing. It was a hymn that we were singing. And the gal who I was with, Teresa, we went back to our room, and I said, I think there was men in the room. Like, it, I heard men singing. And she goes, I did too. That was so weird, because it's just a, this whole group of ladies. Must have been some ladies with some deep voices, you know. Well, then we get back into the the meeting the next morning, and Billy Brim says, she said, who noticed the angels were here last night? And we went, that's what it was. We noticed angels come into a place where God is honored. They come and they move and they do things that we can't do. They deliver things from heaven. God comes where he's honored. So when we honor his presence, Uh, then his presence stays. And let me tell you something Mark Hankins says about the presence of God. He says, we must contend for the glory and the supernatural power of God in this generation. Some people are self-conscious. Some people are God, are people conscious. Some people are just unconscious. (laughs) But today, we must be God conscious. The greater one lives in us. The glory of God is ushered in with great joy. When we honor him, we must contend for and carry the glory of God. And he goes on to define what the glory refers to. It refers to God's manifest presence, which is defined this way. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. Kabod means wealth, numbers, commerce, power, wisdom, promotion, superiority, Dignity, authority, nobility, splendor, valor, magnificence, extraordinary privileges, and advantages. One of the meanings of kabod or glory is loaded with or heavy with every conceivable good. When we honor God, he brings every conceivable good into our life into the place where we honor him. I love that. Brother Hagen said this. He said, When reverence and honor are restored, there will be a multiplication and a restoration of the Spirit of God in our churches. When we honor him, he comes. He comes. So we want to come with that attitude. Lord, you're in charge. We put you in the seat of honor in this place. So, As I was contemplating this, and and actually James uh, 4, 5 says this, or do you suppose that the scripture is speaking to no purpose when he says that the spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us, and he yearns for the spirit to be welcome with a jealous love. He yearns for the spirit to be welcome. Why did James tell us that, that God yearns for the spirit to be welcome, As I was contemplating this verse, I just thought, it's because, God, you just want to show up so bad. You want to do things in our life. You want things to change. You want us to have that turning point. So you want us to welcome the Spirit of God. And then this question came to me. What if we are waiting on God to do so many things, and we're waiting on Him, and we think we're waiting on Him, but He's waiting on us? What if he's the one waiting on us to be welcomed? What if we're not creating the atmosphere where he can actually move and be who he is? But honor creates that. Honor. Here's the other atmosphere that we can, that we have control over. It's an atmosphere of love. Atmosphere of love. So strife and division is and will continue to be one of Satan's biggest strategies against the church. It is a strategy against the church to get us to bite and devour one another, and that's what the scripture says. In Galatians 5.14, it says this. It says, For the whole law concerning human relationships is compiled with one precept. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. But if you bite and devour one another in partisan strife, be careful that you and your whole fellowship are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and the desires of the flesh of the human nature without God. When we have so much of the spirit of God on the inside of us, why do we turn to natural ways to try and figure out our problems with people? God is the one who made them, and he'll give us insight. Strife and division will separate bodies. It'll separate families. It'll separate. And we have to hate strife as much as God does. But you know what? A lot of us put up with it. And we don't hate it like he hates it. But to honor him is to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And if we don't hate strife and see it as the enemy, then we are participating. We're jumping in with the enemy. And we don't want to do that. We can't have the spirit of God and the spirit of strife working in the same situation. So we must surrender our heart to him. It's a very important point on creating an atmosphere where God can move in our life, in everything that we do. Let me read to you James three sixteen through 18. And I want to tell you something that Rick Renner said about it. So it says, For wherever there is jealousy, envy, and contention, rivalry, and selfish ambition, there will also be confusion, unrest, disharmony, rebellion, And all sorts of evil practices. You know, when we choose to be in strife, it really is rebellion. And then it says this, all sorts of evil practices. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure, undefiled. Then it is peace-loving, courteous, considerate, gentle. It is willing to yield to reason, full of compassion and good fruits. It is wholehearted and straightforward, impartial and unfeigned, free from doubts, wavering, and insincerity, and the harvest of righteousness, of conformity to God's will in thought and deed. Did you notice that? There's a harvest when we conform to God's will in thought and deed. There's a harvest. And he says that it is the fruit of the seed sown in peace by those who work for work for, and make peace in themselves and others. So, God wants us to be peacemakers, and here's what Rick Renner says about this. He says, Jesus wants to make sure that we understand what this kind of conduct eventually produces. If this behavior isn't stopped, he goes on to say, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. The word evil is from the Greek word fallulos. Describing something that is terribly bad or exceedingly vile. We get the word foul from this Greek word. James is saying that where envy and strife are permitted to operate, thus producing confusion and anarchy in relationships, they ultimately lead to a foul-smelling situation. God receives it as a foul-smelling situation. He goes on and he says this, The various Greek words in James 3.16 convey this view, for where there is a fierce desire to promote one's own ideas and convictions to the exclusion of everyone else, it produces divisions so great that people end up taking sides and forming different parties with conflicting agendas. This is a terrible event because it creates a great unrest among people who should be unified. Ultimately, the whole situation becomes a stinking mess. Oh, my goodness. How many stinking messes are there in families, in churches, in places? Because we're not listening to the Spirit of God. But when we listen, then... It creates an atmosphere where God can move, an atmosphere of love. And part of an atmosphere of love is an atmosphere of generosity. It'll always accompany an atmosphere of love. You'll see generosity and soul generosity is called forgiveness. (laughs) It's forgiveness. And God will show us the path to reconciliation and forgiveness in any situation, any and every, if we will consult Him. You know, when we were just uh, away, Pastor Mark went to pick up Pastor Craig and Sharon at the airport. And so I was getting ready for this event we were going to. And I had on Judge Judy as I was getting ready. (laughs) Judge Judy is pretty hilarious. I mean, she's not afraid to tell people. She says things like, are you stupid? And then she said to this one guy, do you have a problem right now? Do you have a problem? He's like, no, no. You know, everybody calms down in Judge Judy's presence because they're not going to totally, you know, disrespect her, because they might not get what they want. So she's saying things like that, and I just thought, you know what? I, I'm sure God is doing the same thing. <laughs> when he sees some of the things that we fight and disagree and argue about, he's going, are you stupid? <laughs> is there a problem with you? She's asked one person. I'm not even going to say it. I don't think it's right. All right. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> We're supposed to be grown up, but it just shows us that stupid and selfish can appear no matter how old you are. And the worst thing that I saw on Judge Judy was when families start fighting and take each other to court. And I just think how that grieves the spirit of God, that families can't find the spirit to help them work things out. So James 4.1 4-1 says this. It says, What leads to strife, discord, and feuds? And how do conflicts and quarrels and fighting originate among you? Do they not arise from your sensual desires that are ever warring in your bodily members? What are they warring against? Well, they're warring against the word. They're warring against the spirit. That's our flesh warring against the spirit. But if we listen, if we obey, if we yield, if we submit to the Spirit of God, there can be an atmosphere of love. And I have read stories and seen situations where people have forgiven in the most devastating of circumstances, and it has created a turning point for their lives. One person forgave her brother of some things from growing up and uh, she had held things against him. And then when their parents passed away, she didn't feel like the division of the, the assets of their parents was equal or fair. And so she had held a grudge for so long. And she wanted healing in her body. And the Lord told her, you need to forgive. And she said, you know what, I think it's time. I do need to forgive. And she called her brother to forgive him. And he said, you know what, I was just thinking about you. And I want to forgive you. She said, no, I'm forgiving you. I called you to forgive you. And he said, no, I want to forgive you she said, wait a minute, before we get into a fight about it, let's just agree to forgive each other equally. <laughs> well, they did, and her body was instantly healed. She didn't even have to have hands laid on her. She was healed. Praise God for that. We just don't know the things that we hold and what they do to us. You know, it's kind of a funny story, but we went to the Philippines. We were there with Tony When Tony was in the Philippines, she was teaching in a school. And so we got there in the middle of a typhoon. And Mark and I, they they load all the bags onto the tarmac and they were sitting there. And the typhoon, it was raining on all of our bags. And I told Mark, I said, like, all of our stuff's going to get wet. He's like, well, we can't do anything about it. So we're just watching the typhoon rain on all of our bags. Well, everything did get wet. Well, then the typhoon continued and so we went out into the rain and all of our stuff was wet. And the Philippines is, it's very humid there. And so we were trying to dry all of our stuff out, but it wasn't working that great. And so... Um, we're standing in the elevator with a bunch of people, and I'm like, "Ew, something smells really bad." <laughs> and so I'm in the back. I'm just like, "Oh my gosh!" Sometimes I'm not very discreet, so I, I'm like holding my nose, and I'm saying to Mark, "Like, someone stinks in here," and. And, and he's like, yeah, I kind of smell it, which is an amazing thing, because he doesn't always smell those things. So, so I'm like, ooh, it smells bad. Well, then we got to one floor, people got off, and I thought, I hope it was them. And then we go up to another floor, people got off. Well, pretty soon we're at the top, and we're the only ones. And I'm going, guy, that person smelled so bad to my husband. The residue of it is still in the elevator, And then we get into our room, and I'm like, it's stuck in my nostrils. It just stinks. Everywhere I go, it stinks. Listen, if everywhere you go, it stinks, that's a clue that it might not be everyone else or everywhere else. I found out that I was the one that stunk. I was the one. (laughs) My wet clothes had started growing smells, and we had to send all of our stuff out to be laundered. The only way to get rid of that kind of stuff is to wash ourselves. But you know what washes us? The washing of the water of the word. And when we put the word in and we listen and we obey it, it'll change. Okay, here's the next one. It'll be a turning point. Here's the next one, an atmosphere of prayer. An atmosphere of prayer. It's so important. If God wants to do something corporately on a wide scale, He will enlist corporate prayer. And when we create an atmosphere of prayer by yielding to the spirit, then we do something. We allow God to come in. You know this sanctuary? When ministers come to this place, they're always amazed at the freedom with which they have to minister. And it's because we have continually, throughout the history of New Creation Church, we have had a body of prayers people who pray. These walls are saturated with the presence of God from the prayers of the saints in this place. But you know, every move of God, every generation has to be evangelized and has to be taught in the things of God. And so prayer is part of what creates an atmosphere, but we can't leave it to one generation. We need every generation in, you know, it blesses my heart when we have children coming to corporate prayer, because it means that they're getting into the presence of God and they're learning things. They're having things deposited on the inside of them. They're having things in them that'll come up later. They'll understand and know things, and they won't even know how they knew them except for that they were in the presence of God. They were in the presence of God. So an atmosphere of prayer. Oh, and I want to read to you from this book, Tongues Beyond the Upper Room. This is beyond good. (laughs) So he says this, answering the call to prayer. He says, The Lord told me there's a depth of prayer and intercession in the spirit that will be lost unless we who are experienced in prayer somehow get those truths over to this present generation of believers. I've known folks over the years who were great intercessors and who became experts in this deeper realm of praying in the Holy Ghost. But God wants more who can pray like those few. He must have believers who know how to pray in that deeper realm because there's a job to get done in these last days. If his plans and purposes are to be fulfilled in this late hour, more and more of his people must say no to their flesh and spend time praying about the divine mysteries of God. But as more and more respond to God's call to pray, there will begin to be a greater and greater manifestation of his power and glory on the earth. The manifestation and the demonstration of God's spirit will become as common as real and everyday natural things are to us. This is what our hearts have longed for, and it's what intercessors have prayed for for so many years. Do you know that every move of God, every revival, every uh, wave that comes to us, every one of them is fueled by prayer. It's ushered in because of the prayers of people. I think I wanted to read this too. He says, The body has no coordination when half of its members are going one way and half are going the other way. So God is getting us ready. He's calling us to a common goal, to yield to the promoting of the Holy Spirit, to pray out things in other tongues, The next wave is about to burst upon us in all of its glory, and every one of us should be determined not to miss it. We have seen a wave called the healing revival, and we have seen a wave called the charismatic movement. We have seen the wave of faith and teaching of God's word, but now another wave is coming. It's the wave of the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes, we've seen the power of the Holy Ghost in a limited fashion. But a wave is coming that will bring his power on a higher level and a far greater measure than we've ever seen before. I can see that wave out yonder in the deep waters. It's coming. The waves of the Holy Ghost power are building higher. Don't stay on the old wave of yesterday's move of the Spirit. Swim out into the deep waters of the Spirit realm, praying in the Holy Ghost, and get on to the next wave of God's purpose for this hour. Then keep on praying so that you can ride the new wave as it builds and builds in divine power and glory. I'm convinced the wave that is coming will be twice as high as the healing wave, the charismatic wave and the faith wave. In fact, it will be twice as high as all of them put together. I believe it's going to be the wave that sweeps us right into the shores of the glory world. See, when we create an atmosphere, when we create an atmosphere, God moves. And prayer is a large part of that. So an atmosphere of praise, an atmosphere of honor, an atmosphere of love, and an atmosphere of prayer. And, you know, there's a difference between an odor and an aroma. An aroma comes up before the Lord, and it's good. But an odor is like what that strife was, right? That's an odor. That's foul. Revelation 5.8 says this. It says, when he had taken the scroll, the four living Creatures and the 24 elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin prostrated themselves, prostrated themselves before the Lord. Each was holding a harp, and they had golden bowls of incense, fragrant spices and gums for burning, which are the prayers of the saints of God's people. See, God wants us to be lifting up those prayers, those praises, love, honor. Those create an atmosphere for him to move in. The prayers of the saints come as an aroma before him. But you know what? It also tells us that, that uh, praise does that too. Love does that too. These all create an atmosphere that he wants to dwell in. And don't you want him here in our church? Me too. Amen. Amen. So atmospheres matter. They really matter. And you can go into any atmosphere and you can change it. There can be a turning point. But I believe if we take this word to heart, there'll be a turning point because God starts filling the atmosphere. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't you stand with me? As we get ready to go, um, we have those that are watching online and we have those that are here in the room. And This might be your day to say, the atmosphere of my life has been more like an odor than an aroma. (laughs) And I want that to change. I want him to come in and change the atmosphere of my life and my heart. And if that's you, then pray this prayer with me. Say, thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for sending your son. I know that he gave his life for me so that I could have life. And so I choose now to turn from my way, and I choose your way, Lord. This is my turning point. I choose to follow you. I choose to listen to you. I choose to let your spirit lead me. And I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Take the seat of honor in my heart. And in my life. And I thank you that I am your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that for the first time, then you are his child. And we encourage you, if you're here in the service, come up to the altar care team who will be here. They'll give you some gifts and uh, things that will help you grow in your relationship with God. If you are online and you receive Jesus, go to the Share Your Story tile on our app or on our website and let us know that you did that. We'll send you some of those same materials in digital form so that you can begin to grow with him. God is good, isn't he? He wants us to have the fullness of his presence. And I believe that this church, as I've always believed, is going to be a church where the atmosphere of heaven rules and reigns. We are going to make all of those adjustments, and we are going to have heaven on earth right here. Amen? Amen. We'll be blessed. Come back tonight. We're going to have more of what prayer does, uh, why God needs our prayer, why it's so important. And we'll talk about that tonight. Say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. Amen.